All right, greetings once again from Fremont E Free. It's actually been a while since we podcasted, about a month. Uh, obviously, we had the holidays in there, and then we had some sickness in there, and then we had some stuff going on with my family, and so it's it's been a while. It's our first podcast of 2022. Welcome to the new year, Jim. Feels it's, like it's been a year. It feels like it's been a year. So I don't know if in the podcast world we'd say this is a new season. Maybe we could say that if we want to, but there we go. Um, I think we'll just say it's another podcast. So uh, glad, glad to be back at it, though. Excited to be talking about the Word of God this morning in the midst of the trials and tribulations of this world. Uh, it is helpful to have the Word of God as a navigating point to, to kind of be our North Star as we go through stuff. So right. excited to be talking about the Word of God this morning. Uh, excited to be talking about Acts chapter 9. Uh, obviously, we did something a bit unusual in terms of our preaching where I'd prepared most of Acts 9, 1 to 19. Um, I was probably 85% of the way done, and then we had kind of our emergency where we're out to Denver, and so that meant that you preached ahead. We're going back this week, so sorry to spoil it for everyone. Saul's been converted. You spoiled it yesterday, Jim. I know that will that will take the cliffhanger Spoiler off this week. Spoiler alert. Spoiler alert. Saul's been converted. We're going to go back and look at that this week. At least that's the plan. Um, but what we're talking about this morning is what you preached on yesterday, right after Saul's conversion, where... Uh, he proclaims Jesus in the synagogues, he escapes from Damascus, and then he goes to Jerusalem. All that to say, you've had the most time to chew on this. Um, I'm curious what God's been doing in your heart as you've been thinking about this passage over the last week, and then um, I'll chime in with maybe how God's been, how God used that yesterday for me, and also just a, a question I have for you. Uh, I don't think it's like a tricky theological conundrum question, but just like a practical question. So all that right. to say, let's start with you. Um, what, what do you think God was putting on your heart as you prepared for the sermon this week? Yeah, I think that just, I think probably the most convicting thing for me was just thinking about how central Jesus was in the life of Saul, right? That he, over and over again, it talks about that he just proclaimed Jesus, um, like five different times it talks about how he's proclaiming Jesus. He speaks with Jesus boldly. Um, he's confounding the people, proving that Jesus is the Christ, that Jesus is the son of God. I mean, it's just over and over. Like this was just the heartbeat of his life. And, you know, that's always challenging. I think to think about like, what is my everyday topic of conversation look like? You know, how often am I talking about Jesus? You know, I want to say that Jesus is central in my life, but I wonder, does it always come out that way? Is it always seen in that way? Um, and so I always think that's really challenging to think about. Like, um, does Jesus just naturally come up in the course of my everyday conversation with people? Um, and, you know, to be totally honest, it probably doesn't. Right. Uh, and so I think that that, like, that was something that just really stood out to me. Yeah, the, the boldness of the early apostles and their willingness to speak openly and frequently about Jesus is obviously convicting, I think, for me, but also I would guess most American Christians, if we're looking at a passage like this honestly and, and seeing their courage and their boldness, it is it is convicting that um, we sometimes do not have the same type of courage and, I mean, to maybe use your language, the same type of Christ-centeredness that they do. Right. And so I, I think you look at that and you say, all right, like there's there's probably work for us to do right. in terms of being more captivated by who Christ is and right. walking more in the power of the Spirit for sure. Right. Um, so yeah, I think that's that's good what you're saying. I would say the thing that stuck out to me, and some of this is going to be built on the shoulders of what I'm preaching on this week, which is Saul's conversion, 
And something really interesting that happens in his conversion where um, in verse 16 of chapter 9, um, the Lord tells Ananias to go and to minister to Saul, which is a pretty interesting interaction. But in verse 16, he says, For I will show him how much he must suffer for the sake of my name. And then we see that starting to happen here in the passage that you preached on yesterday, right? That, that God tells Saul from the beginning, you're going to suffer for my name, and then it doesn't take long for it to get started. Right. He starts to suffer for his name. And so this morning, too, I was reading in Acts, or excuse me, Romans chapter 8, and I was reading verse 17. Uh, in, well, actually, let me go back to verse 16 of chapter 8. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God, and if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him, in order that we may also be glorified with him. And so I, I, I guess I've been thinking a lot, I mean, Maybe it's not a surprise, given what we're going through in our family, that I've been thinking about suffering. Mm. Um, but I don't know. There, there's something about that passage in Acts, then coupled with what I was reading this morning in Romans chapter 8, to realize that, I, I think you said, I think the way you phrased it yesterday is suffering is real. I think that's what you said. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I think that's true. Suffering is a part of living in this broken world. And right. Um, obviously, you look at the instructions given to Saul, I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. And you, well, maybe maybe that's just the Lord is speaking to Saul. Like, Saul is just going to have a tough life, but the rest of us are going to be able to escape by easy. But I think reading Romans 8, you'd say, well, not really. I mean, if, if you're right. wanting to experience the glory that comes with Christ, then there's an expectation that you're probably going to have to suffer as well. Right. And so... Um, I don't know. That's that that's tough, right? Like that's that's uh that's hard to wrestle with and and I think maybe living in the United States in 2022 like we're pretty averse to suffering. Um you know, we just don't suffer as much as people throughout the ages. Like Tony is you know, we've been obviously thinking through a lot of stuff with Dawson and his health and and Tony and I were just talking last night that if you lived in the 1700s, first of all, you probably had like 10 kids. And most likely, <laughs> at least half of them died. Mm. Um, and, I, you know, I don't know that that made it any easier for them just because they experienced it more. But I, I guess what I'm getting at is that maybe suffering is a little bit harder for us to wrap our minds around because we just don't experience much of it. Right. But um, I think the value of reading Acts or Romans is just a reminder that if you're going to live in this world, there is going to be suffering. And so I guess I was struck by that yesterday, just thinking... Um, I, you know, I think sometimes we are talking specifically about suffering for the name of Christ and not just the suffering of living in a broken world. And so I think it's helpful to think about application that way too. Like, I don't think we should be so afraid of, of the stuff that may be coming our way in this country in terms of persecution as if it's strange, to use the language of First Peter. That, that should be normal. I, I'm not saying it will be easy. I'm not saying we should, you know, throw a party like, oh, yay, persecution's coming. We're going to lose our jobs. Like, you know, yesterday in Sunday school, Matt was talking about how it's a very real possibility that that based on, you know, what we proclaim to be true about the way God has created us male and female or the way we believe that marriage is between one man and one woman, like that at some point we may find ourselves in trouble um, and we may face persecution. And, and just to be ready for that and realize, like, that's not abnormal if you look at Scripture. That was one thing Matt pointed out yesterday in Sunday mm. School that I thought was helpful. Mm. So I'm rambling a little bit at this point, but that's the thing that stuck out to me yesterday. I don't know if you have anything on that. No, I mean, I think you're right. And I do think it's amazing to think about Saul is told right off the bat, you're going to suffer for my name. And he says, okay, here we go. 
right? Yeah. Like, you know, when he goes to Damascus, that he's going to face suffering. Like, it's a reality that's going to come. He's not going to like, oh, hmm, I wonder if I'll face some persecution here. I wonder if I'm going to get some kickback here. He's going to get kickback because he knows he's going to talk to the people he used to associate with. Like, that's the thing I think is amazing about this passage, that he's talking to, the, he's talking to his peer group, right? Right. He's talking to the people that were in his camp. And if anybody should know the result of talking about Jesus, right. it's going to be Saul. Right? right, he knows what's coming his way. He knows suffering is coming, and yet he goes right along anyway. He just yeah. has to, he just goes straight to the synagogue and talks about Jesus. Yeah, yeah. I think I think you said this yesterday too. Um, just the idea that like for Saul, it, it must have been a pretty lonely existence, um, right? Because on the one hand, he's got all these people that he used to associate with that now hate him or right. trying to kill him. Right. On the other hand, the people that would normally comfort him are people who are terrified of him. Right. And for good reason. I, right. I mean, he was just, you know, just prior to this, trying to put them in jail and kill them. Right. And so, yeah, I think, again, there's just this reality. I, I think sometimes, you know, the prosperity gospel in the United States is, is in some cases verbally spoken, right? If you believe in Jesus, your life will be healthy right. and wealthy and all these things. But I do think even in, in good churches, there's because we live in the United States in 2022, there's almost this unspoken prosperity gospel. That the idea is like, if you just follow Jesus, everything will kind of work out in right. the end. You do everything right. You do everything right. Like, you know, your, your kids will turn out and they'll follow Jesus and, and, you know, they'll have a good, healthy life and, you know, and, and life won't be that complicated for you. And I, I just think you can't read the Bible with any sort of sincerity and come to that conclusion. Now, in the end... It will work out. And by the end, I mean when Christ returns and when we're in heaven with him, right? Like when we're with him in glory, it will work out. Like all of the troubles of this world will go away. And that is actually the hope that we cling to as Christians. But this idea that if we just follow Jesus, that our life will relatively be easy and comfortable, like that is just not true scripturally. Right. And I think part of the reason why we have such a hard time when suffering and trials come our way is because we... We kind of believe that. We kind of, right. like, deep down are convinced in the prosperity-like gospel, like that God is just going to look out for us. But you look at the New Testament, and you just don't see that. Right. So I think, I think that's something I was thinking about yesterday, too. Yeah, I do think, it's, I do think that is a natural tendency. I mean, I thought about this when I was at, our pre, at the previous church that we were at, and we experienced uh, some conflict within the church. And you looked at it, and we felt like, well, we did everything right. Why is all these... Why is all this tension? Why is this church split happening? It's not like you were like, oh, well, you know what? Well, here's the things that we did wrong. You know, it was really like, like, you know, and over the years I've just evaluated those things. I was like, no, I felt like we were doing everything God honoring. And yet that still, uh, a hard time still came. Yeah, And I struggled with God with that. I was like, God, how can you let this happen when good things were happening here and this came about? And I realized I have that sort of mentality, that I can have that mentality of, I'm just obeying God and doing everything right. He's going to bless what I'm doing. Right. Um, and, and yet, if we were doing something wrong, then we deserved bad things to happen. And I sit there and go, man, I sound like Job's three friends. Yeah, I was just thinking that when right? you were saying that, yeah. And yet that, and so how easily that can enter into our mindset, right? 
Yeah. Yeah, that, that's what I'm saying, that although, like, I think at a church like ours, 98% of the people would condemn the prosperity gospel. Right. And would say, oh, that's a false gospel. But we believe a subtle form of that. It's It kind of can get in a sneaky way, can it? It yeah. can get into a sneaky way into my heart. It might as well, right? Like, I think... Um, I think it's easy for us to condemn the prosperity gospel while also believing it kind of subtly, right? right? That right. that God does kind of owe us here, right. or that if we just live a certain way that it's it's always going to turn out to be easy. And again, I would just say, when you read through the New Testament, and for that matter, when you read through the Old Testament, if you read it at face value with any sort of sincerity, you can't come to that conclusion. Like, right. I, And I think that's the sense of security that we've been lulled into living in in a time of prosperous ease in the country that we live in, in the era that we live in. Like, suffering is a part of this world. And actually, like, when Dawson first got sick two and a half years ago, like, it was amazing how, how differently I would read the Bible to realize, oh, this suffering stuff is talked about everywhere. Hmm. Like, hmm. and it was always there, but I just, like, I, I don't know why prior to that point, I think I was kind of under this subtle impression that, yeah, that suffering's for other people, but probably not for me. Right. But that's that's just a silly way to read the New Testament, um, and and again, I would say the specific application of there being persecution for our faith. I'm not trying to be Debbie Downer here, um, or trying to be like a naysayer, like that. Oh, persecution's coming; it's going to be terrible. But I do right. think it's going to start coming, um, at least if we're headed on the current trajectory. Now, God might turn that around. He sure. might decide to bring revival in this country, and we can completely turn and go the other way. Right. But given the trajectory trajectory we're on, it seems like there will be persecution because of our faith. Right. And I'm just saying, I think one of the ways we prepare for that is just to read passages like this and be honest with ourselves. Like, this right. is going to come for us. Like, let's let's make up our minds now that when it does happen, we're not going to be surprised as if some strange thing is happening to us, but rather that this is part of the way God has always laid out the plan and been... Right. You have to you have to give the Lord credit. He's very honest with us, right? Like he's not hiding this from us. Like even with Saul, it's not like he gives him the old bait and switch. Like, hey Saul, come here, your life will be better. No, from the very beginning, he tells him, "I'm going to show you how I'm going to." That's what he tells Ananias. Tell him how much he's going to suffer for my name. Right. Right. Like there's there's a transparency here to the way God deals with us. Like he's saying, "Hey, it's going to be hard." I just think sometimes we read the Bible and we don't think he's serious, but he right. is. It's, right. it's going to happen, and we need to prepare ourselves. And then realize, like, our hope is not really until Christ returns and makes all things right. Like, that's where our hope has to be, not that this world will be some sort of utopia. Right. I mean, that's where, you know, this morning, you know, I woke up to my devotions and just this idea of, man, Jesus be central in my life. Like, the passages like this are good, right? It are good because I think it, it does drive us to a point where... Uh, we recognize there's still gospel work that needs to be done in our hearts and to, to say, okay, work this in me, you know, and I hope that's true for our people, you know, that after looking at this passage are saying, okay, man, Jesus be more central in my life this week. Like what are the things that I can be do about doing so that Jesus can be more central in my life and spending time with him? So. Yeah. Good. All right, so here's my question for you. You All mentioned right. this yesterday, and I thought this was helpful um, to point out that Paul, Saul, sorry. By the way, I'm, I'm going to talk a little bit about that this Sunday. Like, I, 
I think there's sometimes this common misconception that Saul's name turned to Paul when he's converted, and that's not really true. Right. In fact, it's not until Acts chapter 13 that he's called as Paul. I think that one right. is his Hebrew name and one is his Greek name. And I think it's just uh, like the author of Acts, who's Luke, uses it depending on the context he's in a little bit. And it, it translates more to Saul because of the work that he does with Gentiles later on. Right. So I don't, I don't, the popular misconception that when Saul was on the road to Damascus and he's, and he's converted, he becomes Paul. I just don't think you see that in the book of Acts. Right. Well, he's not in chapter 9. Yeah, he's I don't. Saul, for I sure. don't think that's what's going on. Right. I think it actually is the same person. He's Saul or Paul. Right. Um, but anyway, that aside. Okay. So you'd mentioned yesterday that Saul, um, he doesn't always head straight on into persecution. Right. Okay. Right. So I think that's a good observation. Right. Um, so in verse, you know, they find out about this plot to to kill him um, in verse twenty three, and their plot becomes known to Saul. So they lower him through a basket. By the way, this must have been an impressive basket. I, I would love to see what this basket looked like. Um, like, I'm trying to... I mean, that's pretty amazing. Like, is a hot air balloon type basket? It has to be. Right. right? Like it, it has, has to be, to be a pretty sturdy basket. All right. Let's let's let that aside for a little bit. So, they he escapes. Okay. Right. So, he sees persecution coming. They're going to kill him. And he runs from it. Right. Okay. But then, the next thing he does is he goes to Jerusalem. Right. Which is like... If you're trying to avoid persecution, that's probably the worst place to go, right? Like, right. that's the center of where he's going to be persecuted, right? right. Like, so <clears throat> here's my question. Like, how do you know when to run and how do you know when to just, you know, face persecution head on? Like, let's take Stephen as an example. Like, Stephen, like, maybe he could have worked his way out of that situation if he didn't call them stiff-necked, rebellious people. Right. But he did, right? right? Saul, or later on Paul... Like there's times where he's going to run and then there's times where he's going to face it head on and eventually he's going to get killed. Right. So my question for you is how do we know? Like how do we know when it's time to run and how do we know when it's time to face it head on? And and I think this may have practical outworking for us um, right. at some point in the near future. So in this passage, I think you could say he does both, right? right. Like there, you're right that he doesn't always run head on into trouble. But sometimes right. he does, right? Right. So he's in. In fact, those two verses back to back are really fascinating. Verse twenty-five, he's running in a basket. Verse twenty-six, right. he runs straight into trouble. Like they're right, right next to each other. Right. So, I guess as Christians, my question is, how do we wrestle with that, Jim? Like, how do we decide? Okay, this is the time where we need to run from persecution. Like, right. let's say a, a persecution broke out in the United States. Would it be legitimate for us to question? For us to ask the question: Should we move to another country? I guess that's what the pilgrims kind of did, right? If I understand right. my history correctly, and all of you pilgrim history buffs out there make you know send me an angry email this week. That's not really what happened, but I think that's kind of what happened, right? Like when would it be appropriate to do that, and when should we say no? We just need to stick it out and face our persecution head on. And if we go to jail, we go to jail, and if we get killed, we get killed. So how do we know? That's right. that's kind of a long-winded way of asking the question I wanted to ask. But how do we know when when to go and when to stay? Well, I do think it's interesting that Saul obviously had a reason that he wanted to go to Jerusalem, right? I mean, it says in 26, he attempted to join the disciples. I think he was wanting to connect with Peter and John, you know, and the rest, whatever the, the main disciples, because I think it said earlier that all the believers fled Jerusalem except for the disciples. Okay. So for whatever reason, he's wanting to connect with them. Like that's his purpose of going to Jerusalem, right? 
Yep. And 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 so you and have to be that, clear. Let me just interject for a second. I should I should be clear in saying that he then kind of goes again, right? In verse right. And 30. then he goes. That's where I was going to go next. Yeah, okay, and then yeah. he does go to the temple. That's the hot seat at that moment, right? Like he knows he's going into his home headquarters, basically. Right, but my point is, then he runs again, right? In and verse then 30. He, and then in verse 30, he runs again. Correct. Yeah. He learns of the plot, and then he takes off again. So you could say he does, like to your point, he does both. He walks into trouble, but in both of these scenarios, an, op- an opportunity to escape presents itself to him, and he leaves. Yeah. You know, I keep thinking about, like, I mean, it's, it's going to be a while, but later on in Acts when he purposefully goes to Jerusalem because he knows he's supposed to go to Rome. Like the Lord has told him, you're going to Rome, right? So he knows he's going to get arrested. You know, they tell him at Ephesus, don't go. You're going to get arrested. There's that prophecy. He says, I got to go. Yeah. And yet he does get beat a little bit at the beginning there. And then he pulls his Roman citizen card. Right. right? So there he's avoiding, like, I'm thinking, why did you pull that card earlier? Right. (laughs) You know, but he does pull it. So it doesn't happen again. Right. He does pull it at that point, and then they stop beating him. And, and even though he's still arrested, they treat him well. And so Paul's not afraid, like to like, hey, I want to avoid getting beat up. Right. I think that shows. And so I think that like, so what I'm wondering is, and we don't know the exact details of all the other times, you know, that he got, you know, stoned like he does later on here in Acts. Yep. When he gets beat or when he gets whipped, you know, he says, what, three times he receives the 39 lashes? I think that's right. Four Mm -hmm. times? I I think it was three, but I could be wrong. You know, so you just wonder, were those scenarios where he just couldn't, like, he couldn't get out? Right. You know, were those the scenarios that were, like, he just, like, it, it came to him and he just couldn't get out? And that's where I just... You know, we don't know all of the details of the ins of outs of all of Paul's suffering and all of that happens to Saul. But I do think that this shows here that the moments that he has the ability to escape, he does escape because I think he knows his mission, that his mission is to proclaim the name of Jesus. And how is he able to do that if he dies in Acts chapter nine right that i think that when he sees an opportunity to escape in order to do the work that he's called to do he's going to take the opportunity to do that yeah you know i heard um you know um if you have something to say go ahead and say because i'm going to try to grab a name that oh john Patton. are you familiar with the missionary john Patton? yep Mm -hmm. you know um he went to go be a missionary in the New Hebrides, which is where right. cannibals lived, and uh, his, his one of his lines was, "I, um, as long as I am used by God, I am invincible." Right. Like he knew that as long as he was going to be used by God, that no matter what happened to him, he was going to be invincible. And so I wonder if Saul has that mindset that says, "Okay, I have a mission. I have been revealed this plot." Uh, and so I'm going to escape because God has made this known to me so that I can continue the mission that he has called me to do and to go do that. And then maybe there are times that that window of opportunity to escape was not available to him and he just got arrested and he endured what he had to endure for suffering. Yeah. Hmm. You got I, any other thoughts? Um, I don't know that. Well, so here's the passage I was thinking of that's interesting in Acts 14. 
Um, so Paul's in Lystra, and Jews came from Antioch and Iconium, and having pursued the crowds, they stoned Paul and dragged him out of the city, supposing that he was dead. But when the disciples gathered about him, he rose up and entered the city. And the next day he went on with Barnabas to Derbe. When they preached the gospel of that city and made many disciples, they returned to Lystra and Iconium and to Antioch. So he's stoned in Lystra. They think he's dead. Take him back into the city. And then he goes on, but then he goes back to Lystra again. Like, so again, I, I think we could, we could do alternating examples here where there's times where Paul runs Right, but there's times where he heads straight into trouble, knowing right. that it's going to get him in 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 deep water. Right, so I, I think the, my question I initially posed was, how do you know when to run, and how do you know when to face your persecution head on? And I think the answer is, the spirit just has to give you wisdom. Right, and I I think um, I think that should give us maybe a little bit more charity towards people to like, some people may say, Hey, we, we need to run and flee to a different country right now. And maybe they're right. I mean, now maybe they're being wimpy and maybe they're not being led by the spirit. Um, or other people may say, no, we need to face our persecution head on. If we go to jail, we go to jail and they may be right. Um, I, I just think it's complicated. I guess that's what I'm trying to right. get at here. Like, I think we love black and white pictures and we love to say you should always do this or you should always do that. And sometimes it's just not that clear what you're supposed to do. Like with Paul, sometimes he gets lowered in a basket and sometimes he heads straight into the mouth of the line. Right. And how did he know when to do which? I have to presume he was being led by the spirit. That's the only thing I can, like, I can't, I can't necessarily find a discernible pattern here to know why did he do this here and why did he do this here? I don't know. I just, I think we have to trust that the spirit will lead us and we have to ask what our motives are. Like, are, are we, are we running just because we're wimpy and because we think we're, you know, we should avoid persecution or is God legitimately telling us you need to go here so the gospel can advance in this area. Um, I I think we have to be willing to ask questions of what our motives are and why we're doing what we're doing. And then we have to rely on the Holy Spirit and pray that the Spirit guides us. I, I don't know if there's, like, the passage yesterday just made me think it's kind of messy, right? Because he, he flees in a basket, but then he goes straight into the mouth of the lion again in Jerusalem. Like, and then he flees again. Like, and so it's just this back and forth. And I think we just have to be honest and say, hey, we have to be led by the Spirit. We have to check our motives at the door. And then we just have to pray that God guides us. I, I think that's probably right. the answer. You know, I also thought about, you know, the, the, the journey that, that Paul takes to Rome at the end of Acts, there's a plot to kill him there as well. That's been revealed to them. Is it uh, Paul, the son of Paul's sister? So his nephew right. learns about the ambush and tells it, and Paul calls to one of the centurions and say, hey, right, take this young man to the tribune. He has something to tell him. Yeah. So again, you see here in that moment, Paul says, hey, I got to go to Rome. This plot's been revealed. Go do something about it. Yeah. You know. So I do think that there is something that... I just wonder when things were revealed to Paul, Paul said, Hey, I'm going to act on this. And I think maybe some of those other times were times where he couldn't avoid it. Yeah. He just like, Hey, there's a crowd here. I'm going to preach Jesus. The Lord made the doors clear. Right. I'm going to take you and we're going to stone you. You know, I don't think there was like, you know, there was no way out of that. Right. There was no way out of it at that point. Yeah. Fair enough. And so I just think that maybe these were moments that God revealed these things in order for the purpose to keep Saul alive. Yeah. And then he took them. He took the advantage of them. Right. Which I think is really important because I've heard some people can have this this view of the sovereignty of God. This is, well, whatever happens, happens. 
And that's not what Saul does, right? Yeah. It's like God reveals and then Saul acts on what's been revealed to him. Or I, th- I think some, I've actually encountered this and I won't get in a long convoluted story, but I think there's some people who are convinced that the harder path is always the path that God wants you on. Yeah. Um, and so if, if you feel like, well, actually, you know, the Lord's not leading me to be a missionary in Pakistan. He's leading me to be a missionary in, you know, Bermuda. All right. So I'm giving some extreme examples there. Like, well, yeah, I, I'm sure there's many people who have been missionaries to Bermuda who are just going there to be on vacation, but perhaps you are legitimately being right. called to Bermuda. Like, I'm, I'm giving an extreme example, but my point is, like, just because I, I don't think that we should always assume the hardest path possible is always right. the path God wants us to go on. Right. Like, I think we have to ask the question, where does God want us? And sometimes he wants us in the basket, and sometimes he wants us in prison. Like, right. And I, I think we just have to be willing to ask, where does the Lord want me here? Right. And where is he opening doors? Like, and, and it's okay sometimes to get in the basket. That's what I'm getting at. But right. other times you have to be willing to go to jail. Like, right. And knowing when is hard. But I, I do think there's kind of this idea sometimes that like, it's almost like this asceticism, like the harsher the circumstances, the more that must be God leading. And I don't think that's always the case. Right, right. It's like the old church joke. Have you heard the one about the man who's stuck on his roof and it's flooding, the flood right. is coming, and a helicopter comes and right. he says, no, I'm going to wait for the Lord to save me. And a right. boat comes and he says, right, no, right. I'm going to wait for the Lord to save me. And then he dies in the flood. And he says, God, why didn't you save me? And he said, well, I sent you a boat and a helicopter right, right, and you right. didn't go. And I think that that's what, what happens is, when God sends us means, we should take advantage of the means that he gives us, and we should use those. Right. And I guess what I'm getting at, too, is like I don't think we should always assume that the hardest path is the more godly right. path. Right. Sometimes it's okay to take the basket, right? Like, right. But I do think we have to ask, why are we doing this, and where right. is the Spirit leading, and all right. that. So I think, right. I, I guess I just I wanted to wrestle with that, because I think there's some complexity there that we sometimes don't always wrestle with. Right, right. Good. All right. I think that's all I got for today. You got anything else? Yeah. You know, just, you know, the thing, uh, just maybe a quick little Bible study method that I think is really good for us to remember. Like the reason I was able to pick up Jesus being central is because that repeated theme came up. When you have a, whenever you have a short passage of scripture, I mean, this was only what, uh, 12-ish verses, and you read over and over again, proclaiming Jesus as the son of God, you know. Uh, proclaiming Jesus as the Christ, uh, preaching Christ boldly in Damascus, preaching Christ boldly in Jerusalem. Like, like that's a repeated theme. And I think that's a good Bible study method for us to remember that when we read the Bible, we read a short passage and see repeated themes. That's meant to grab our attention to see that this is really important. Yeah. And I just think that's like, I wish I would have taken the time to say that yesterday. I say, hey, this is just a good general Bible study method that when you read the Bible, look for repeated themes that you see within a short passage of scripture because that's being emphasized to you for a reason to see it. Yeah, that's a good tip. I mean, repetition is one of the key ways the Bible gets our attention. Right. So that's good. Right. All right. Well, Jim, we've got our first podcast in 2022 in the books at this point. Next we week, we'll go backwards to Acts 9, 1, 19. It's actually a passage I've been really encouraged about as I've thought about over the course of the last couple of weeks. So looking forward, Lord willing, uh, to being there on Sunday morning. Uh, I think Saul's conversion is actually encouraging for all of us and, and challenging in a lot of ways for all of us too. So right. all that to say, I look forward to that. In the meantime, would encourage you to get in the Word this week. It does have treasures untold. Uh, Dig deep because there's treasure to be found. Um, Keep pressing on. Amen.